0: Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner.
1: This is episode number 461 with Ray and Jean Ketkodian, How Porn Damages Relationships. Hi everybody, I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to fall madly in love. And if you want to fall more in love with yourself first, and then with your last first date, I wrote a book just for you. And it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And It's filled with 30 tips, stories, exercises designed to help you step more fully into your value and live the life that you want. You can find it now on Amazon, Kindle, or paperback. And This week's tip from the book is step number 23, be aware of your tone. We often think that we're saying something in a nice way because we're not yelling and we're not saying it in an acerbic way, but a lot of times our tone says a different story. And so my kids used to always say, mom, your tone of voice doesn't sound very good. And so I didn't like it when they called me on it when I was trying to call them on something, but they were right. I often had a lot of anger underneath the surface. And so If you have this issue, I challenge you to just calm yourself down before you talk, because when you're having an important conversation, your tone is a big part of your communication. And before I bring our guests on, I want to just invite anybody who's not yet a member of my Facebook group to join us. It's called Your Last First Date, and it is a group for support, positive, positive, support. It is a monitored group as opposed to many groups for single women which are just a cesspool of (laughs) complaints and victim mindset. This is not what we do. I post in there regularly as my monitors do and you'll get all the latest uh, tips and advice and support in that group. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest's Power Couple, Dr. Ray and Jean sorry, are co-founders of a counseling center in the Chicago area and co-founders of a unique approach to helping couples have amazing relationships. It's called Couple Synergy. They've worked with thousands of couples for over 20 years. They both have master's degrees in clinical psychology, and Dr. Ray has an additional doctorate, as if that wasn't enough, in clinical psychology. They also have a podcast of their own called Couple Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank
0: you so much for having us on the show.
1: It's exciting to cover this topic, as we have not talked about porn on this podcast with all these episodes, almost 500, and we haven't covered this topic. So let's get into it. First, I'd like to know, what are the most adverse effects of porn on long-term relationships?
0: Uh, So before we get into that, I I have to say that the psychological field does not recognize porn addiction. Or sex addiction as an actual diagnosis, it is not covered in the DSM, and there is a lot of controversial studies uh, about porn and whether it is an actual addiction or whether it is actually something that, you know, um, affects relationships negatively. So a lot of the, um, you know, the work that we have done and the, you know, topic of porn and what we're going to be talking about is really anecdotal from a lot of the work that we have done with thousands of couples and seeing relationships, you know, in in all states.
2: Interesting. If if we wanna talk about the top damaging thing that happens for couples is that uh, one person, and it's usually the man gets so addicted to porn or uses porn so much that he no longer is interested or capable of having sexual relationship with his wife. And we've, we've worked with couples who we see the man so full of shame, and by the time he gets caught again, that the marriage ends, and it's just so painfully destructive.
0: As you mentioned, you know, porn is so accessible. It is definitely accessible all over, you know, and because it's so accessible, it has permeated into, you know, our relationships, into our lives. Um, sexualization, just in general, is something that's so pervasive, right? It has creeped into just normal TV viewing now. And so we're not really fully aware of how much it is actually impacting all of us because relationships are so complicated and so complex, right? You started talking a little bit about tone in the beginning, you know, and tone is something that is not necessarily Um, you know, something that you can graph, it's not something tangible, right? And so the way that porn actually affects people is very much the same way. You know, it kind of creeps into the relationships in many different ways that we're not really aware of. And so when we see couples come in, you know, and they are suffering with, you know, uh, a sexless marriage, or they are not connected at all emotionally, um, they're not spending any time together. It, when we start diving deep into you know, their lack of sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy, we start to find that there are other distractions that are also part of their relationship and porn being one of them.
2: Yeah. At the age of six, 26% of our six-year-olds are being accidentally exposed to porn. Ooh. Yeah. And those early childhood experiences... Will impact them the rest of their lives, and I think you know the the question is really of desensitization. And so, when you first see something, it's very shocking, and then the more you see it, the more you kind of numb out. And we were actually talking to a couple who works their their company is Tantra Nova, and they help people with sexual stuff. And the Freddie, the guy, was saying that it actually deadens the nerves. the head of the penis and so you your body numbs up and you know for women we're receptive and so we need to become open in our in our heart center and the the male energy has to come up from the genitals up into the heart and over into the heart to have a true intimate experience and for women it then goes down into the genitals and makes this really lovely loop and when there's pornography involved it sort of just takes off like a rocket ship and is done like I always say nobody watches those movies till the end <laughs> <laughs> cool. and so the the female experience is in the in those movies is not very uh, uh normal or real what what the women are going through in those experiences, or the men you know <laughs> and so woman sexuality sort of like starts down here and slowly goes up and a man's kind of goes whoop and it's over, and a lot of women in their normal relationships, even when pornography is not involved, they have a difficult time changing this graph, and the graph is for men to come up and hold that energy and then meet over here to have, you know, a really great sexual experience that's physical, emotional, and even spiritual, and so pornography only strips it right down to a physical experience that is... It's not a relationship experience. It's not between two people. It's each person in their own world by themselves.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, that mm-hmm. and scary, the six-year-old yeah. part, the fact that <clears throat> people get so addicted to porn, the fact that it's not in the list of, of addictions. Um, there's just so many things. And I think, you know, they used to be like you had to, Buy or rent a porn movie or subscribe to something, and now everybody can see it. And, you know, one of the things my son, who's 30s, said to me recently was that it gives you an unrealistic, for him, it gives him an unrealistic expectation of what women's bodies would look like and the sexual acts that people would perform the fact that men can last an hour on average in porn, which is not realistic. And I think there's a lot of compare and despair as well, like size, body image. Let's go there for a minute. Like the the whole, these perfect bodies and these unrealistic expectations around physical. Tell us a little bit about that. So the first thing that
2: I want to let guys in on Is that a woman's body is capable of forming to her partner's parts. So there is really no such thing as like the size issue, except for too big. We have seen people have physical uh, wounds from too large of a penis, but a woman's body is capable of like, you know, having a baby and then shrinking back down. And so what whoever your partner is, is that's where your body's going to conform to. And so I hope that gives men a little bit of confidence that you what you have is perfect. It really is. And it's it's everything else around that, which is, I think, such an important thing to hear. And I think where the trouble comes in is when you're early in life and maybe you have multiple sexual partners, that is not going to be the case that's going to, until you fit together as a couple, that can kind of change, you know, in, in, in terms of a woman's body. And I find that really sad. And, you know, as a woman, myself at the age of 54, um, I remember being a girl and trying on my sister's bikini and thinking that my body looked very boyish. And feeling really insecure about that. And now I look back at pictures and I'm like, what was I thinking? That's so ridiculous. And it is those images, you know, that, and, you know, if you think about our grandmothers, they only could compare themselves to the lady next door. (laughs) And so there was just a natural idea of what this was. And, you know, unfortunately, porn sort of only puts in your face right after puberty right 18 year old to 20 something year old girls unless you get into weird stuff which happens if you you know stay in that kind of stuff long and so that idea that these really unformed emotionally and spiritual w- girls at that stage of life uh they don't know a lot about their sexuality and at that stage of life everything's very physical you know the first time someone touches you or you're young, it's just like fireworks. And as you get older, it turns into something that is has more depth and has more of an emotional component to it. And I, I can say at the age of 54, at the heaviest weight I've ever been in my life, I feel more beautiful than I ever have. I, I am, am more accepting of myself. I don't know if it's how much time we spend on camera. I have to see myself all the time. but. And you know what, what really changed it for me was when I turned 49, I decided to hike a thousand miles and I weighed 185 pounds at the time. And I was on the trail and everything on the trail is so beautiful. And it could be this wonderful, huge tree, or it can be a, a fallen down tree that's decaying or rocks or mushrooms or whatever. And, and I thought, you know, everything on the trail is beautiful and I'm on the trail too. So I must be beautiful too. And we have lost that and we lock that inside of ourselves, which is a great pain for women. And none of us have the same body parts and there will always be a variety of body parts and that's the chase. And you can talk about this more for men, mm-hmm. but they don't like, this is the ideal porn star and that's the only porn star I want to watch, right?
0: You know, sexuality has been associated for many people with shame and you know for me i i learned about sex through the catholic church which you can only imagine you know what was taught there right and that is that if you don't if you have sex before marriage you're going to hell, you know and so there's there's always this this connection with shame and so when we have you know these these supermodel people that are displaying sexual acts and that is really that this proliferation of what sex is supposed to be and then you couple that with people who already have shame about sex, about their own bodies. Now it's just gonna you know, amplify that amount of shame that they have about themselves. I mean, we have it enough with, with all the sexualization and, and ads and, you know, that are going around and being put in our face all the time. I mean, you think about Instagram perfect and how people look you know, perfect on, on Instagram and how people try to look even more perfect. And so now when we couple that with the most intimate act that we can have with another human being, it it just, it amplifies, as I said, that shame that that people may already have within themselves. And then when they're trying to connect with their partner, they become so much more disconnected because they can't get beyond their own, you know, um, their own shame and their own self, what am I thinking about? The insecurities, right? To be able to connect with their partner and find that true acceptance within the relationship.
2: When when we're born, we have needs, needs that people don't really talk about. So I'm not really just talking about food, clothing, and shelter, but the needs of attention and belonging and acceptance and validation. And we know these are real needs because uh, babies and and studies they've done with monkeys, they've shown that if these needs don't get met, they actually die. But what's interesting is they've noticed this pattern of behaviors that human beings go through in order to get those needs met. And the very first one they do is they're coyish. And what we're talking about here is an infant. We're talking about an infant and they're like, goo goo gaga, pick me. And this really came from uh, Russia after the war, where there were so many orphan babies and not enough people to care for them. And so these babies had to compete, like come and hold me, take care of me. And they weren't able to meet all these needs. And that coyishness was the first thing they noticed these babies would do. And for us as human beings, that turns into seduction. And so oftentimes when young people aren't getting a lot of those needs met in their families, that attention, that belonging, that acceptance, they, their body changes and suddenly they're getting that attention from someone. And what they really want are those needs met, but what they're learning very young is that they have a trade-off, that they have to have sex in order to get those needs met. There's, there's two other ones I'll get into really briefly. After coyishness is tantrum, so baby screams. And you see that in couples when there's a, uh, an issue with their bonding, one of them is often has a really big anger and jealousy issue. And then the third one is giving up listlessness before those babies died. And so this is a really big thing that happens in the early developmental stages of our sexuality. And for women, you know, our biggest fear from men is that they'll kill us. And for men, their biggest fear from women is that we will reject them. And so pornography offers an endless supply of women who will not only not reject you, they want to show up and seduce you and please you, which is not, normal in the world it's supposed to be the opposite way where a man's supposed to woo especially in the beginning stages of a couple forming the woman and so that backwardsness i think makes makes young men in that place of like i i why isn't she just falling all over me i I, why do i have to work at this it just shows up in the in porn
0: yeah i mean i think that's the scariest part of it is that porn is influencing generations and generations in, in um, the dating and coupling and courting procedures, right? That you know normally you're supposed to learn one-on-one with an individual. Now you are being exposed to all of this unrealistic way of, of finding a mate. And so now all of these, these young boys and young generation are, are not really knowing how to connect with a person at a very genuine level.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that's compounded by texting and not really communicating. I I teach a lot about communication because it's a lost art, you know, and it's, it's, we have these quick connections and a lot of times, especially as people get older and I'm 65. So in my age range, there are a lot of people who just want to just sort of test drive. Let's see if you're still sexually active. I need to know right away. And there's no courting and there's no getting to know you and there's no connection. And it's like we're missing each other. We're just two ships passing in the night, and people are frustrated on both ends and don't know how to bridge that gap. Yeah. And, you know,
2: when you talk about this instant world and the sexting, and, you know, we see girls as young as like 13 making videos of themselves and sending it to their classmates and our son who's he's 22 mm-hmm. 22 you know he he's like you know this was a friend of mine and I don't want to see that and that's the thing like we were talking about earlier like when when we were young you had to like walk into a, a 7-Eleven and ask for the thing behind the counter or go behind the curtain or even drive over to a theater that shows movies like that. And, and now, even if you don't want to see that, even if you've chosen to not have that be part of your life, it for sure will be in your face almost every single day.
0: Yeah. You just type a website wrong and Mm -hmm. instantly, you know, you'll be exposed to it. And even if you don't want to, you know, and it, it's becoming more and more difficult to avoid being exposed to imagery like that.
1: Yeah. And, and we are so desensitized, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've been watching Sex in the City replays and it's fascinating to watch now as a dating, and relationship coach to go back with different eyes. I don't know if I ever really watched all of the episodes, but there is a whole, um, there's a whole storyline where one of the um, the people, Charlotte, is married to Trey, and they he won't have sex with her. They've been married for months, and then she catches him with a, a girly magazine, you know, one of these like Playboy magazines, and he's masturbating to this magazine. And she's like, "Wait a minute he can he can do that, but he can't be with me." they finally figure out how to, how to have sex, but, and then it becomes insane sex, like totally everywhere all the time. But it's, it, it brings up a lot of these issues and this is mainstream TV that's available now, streaming everywhere. The people, people have sex on screen on Netflix, on Amazon Prime. I mean, you don't have to even search for porn to see sex and to see sex in ways that are, are not often healthy and so you know what, what are the role models that kids are are growing up with and that 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 sexualizing of the clothing and the um it's really that's one of the scariest things for me is to see these these little girls who are dressed in provocative clothes in provocative positions and it's a way to get attention it's i it really is sad i mean do you, so any, any words of wisdom about any of
0: that uh, you know it, it is very sad you're right, and there are actually sites where um, teenagers and young women are actually making a lot of money getting attention for being scantily clad or even you know doing whatever you know that is provocative and the the adults that should be teaching their kids about Appropriate sexual connection with another human being, they are caught up in it too. And so because technology is moving so fast, you know, we are not able to catch up with it to even ask the question on, on whether this is appropriate or not. Or, or what is the long-term effects? Yeah. Right. And you know, what we are seeing though is, you know, there is long-term effects for men who watch porn. On a regular basis, you know, there is higher incidence of depression and low self esteem. And there is more of a disconnect that happens between them and their sexual partner because it's easier to view porn than it is to go and face your partner where you could be potentially rejected or criticized or judged. Right. And when you're
2: working through those normal parts of a relationship, because you know, relationships, we come together as wounded people, and we can heal those wounds if we learn how to do that, which is what Couple to Couple or uh, Couple Synergy is, our program is teaching people how to do that. And instead of there being a healing experience, there's just more and more damage. And the sadness to me is that, I mean, we know People who are watching, like dads with their daughters, like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, and these girls are teenagers, and our sexuality really comes from our dads. It's uh, if if a mother tries to teach either her son or daughter about sexuality, she looks like she's competing with other women or insecure, and it's really written off. But if the dad is like, you know what, that is not, you know, you're better than that, or you you should want more or, you know, your body is sacred and use it in a sacred way, that's where we'll hear it. And with boys, you know, don't treat women like that. Look at them in a different way. And it's so easy to turn it into people, into things, right? Especially on our phone and just discard, 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 discard. And you don't know that you're literally disc, you as the person watching, rejecting people the people on the screen don't know they're being rejected or not so there's not that true relationship but in your head you're sitting there going you know not this not this and i remember as a young woman uh a therapist asked me you know what do you look for in a guy and i i was probably 18 years old at the time and i was really young and insecure and i said what do you mean what do i look for i look for if he likes me and like, I didn't have this idea that there's like 900 guys out there just in line and I get to pick and choose and, you know, relationships are complex and we're supposed to live in communities of like hundred people where you would really get to know someone and there would be the whole community revolving around what's appropriate and not appropriate. And if we lived in a tribe of hundred people, we wouldn't ask all the 18 year old girls to go up by the fire, take their clothes off and dance around. In fact, we would say if you accidentally walked in on someone who was changing or something, you would look away and say, oh, I'm sorry. And you would know that as a sacredness and an intimacy. And so our intimacy is kind of unfolded and turned inside out where you know, we, we, we are naked in front of people but we are not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And we are vulnerable with people we don't get naked with. And so all of that is really, really, really confusing.
1: Yeah, that's powerful we are naked in front of people that we don't get vulnerable with and vulnerable in front of people we don't get naked with. I think people don't even understand vulnerability. They don't know how to get vulnerable. They think oversharing too fast is vulnerability. It's, it's amazing when you really start to understand the nuances of intimacy and how we connect as people and see how much work we all have to do. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts, like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I would
2: like to offer some hope, you know. (laughs) Uh, We're a normal married couple, and we've been on our own journey with these things. And you know, grew up, I I grew up before the internet porn thing. VHS was invented when I was in somewhere in high school and you, you had way more overexposure and, Mm -hmm. and for men, it's not painful at all. There's no pain involved in watching naked women or watching people have sex. For women, there is one way or the other. You can either join in on that and become more predatory like and that will change your brain development, or you go in the opposite direction and become really insecure and judgmental about yourself. And you know, this is why we see a lot more eating disorders and things like that. But if you if you allow yourself, if you consciously choose to unplug, which is something we chose a couple of years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, it's funny, we were watching a show the other day and we always look to see, all right, what's in this? And the ratings, like one rating said PG 14. And Ray's like, oh, this one's probably fine. And he clicks it on. He's like, no, it's not. (laughs) And then there is one that's TVMA with nothing in it. And so the ratings don't even help you. You really have to do a little bit of a dive to find out what kind of content is in there. And you know, they want that content in there because it hijacks you. And it hijacks you in a way that, you know, what Ray was talking about was shame. And that shame then is the thing that drives you to go spend money, go try to get plastic surgery or buy more clothing or whatever is the thing that people are trying to sell. And so it's sort of like if every day all you did was eat McDonald's and over time, it's delicious when you first eat it, right? Because it's, all those chemicals are supposed to taste good. They work really hard at making that happen. But what it does in your body is it breaks it down and you can't really sustain your life very healthily you'll get all sorts of problems over time and pornography is the same way. And so when you do dial it back, if you consciously choose to turn it off and not do those things, and especially electronics in general, shrink your gray matter, which is the part of our brain that is connected to a relationship. And so we're even talking about off of electronics and desensitize or resensitizing yourself you are capable of resensitizing yourself and doing the harder work if you, if you detach. And I, I gotta say, it's a fabulous way to live. And again, I think the hiking brought us back to that because you know we did a, a 20 day hike, no electronics in the mountains with whatever you can carry on your back. And going into the mountains was not shocking. But coming out was shocking because yeah. your nervous system just gets bombarded with stuff, even if it's not pornography. And so when you, when you let go of all those things that are shocking you, your nervous system settles down, which is what you need for intimacy. And then you can actually start working on having really incredible bonding, healing sex with your
0: partner. You know, there are couples out there that would say that, you know, we, we uh, incorporate porn into our sexual life. And, you know, it's, it works for us. It's, it's great. You know, women will say that we, I view porn or men say that, you know, we view porn together and, and that's, and that's fine. And they can say that they have a good sexual life, but we're not talking about it's either good or bad. You know, we're talking about degrees here and we're talking about being able to hit a, a point of sexual intimacy that you've never been able to hit before in your entire life. Right. And that takes work you know, as you know, relationships take a lot of work. It's not something that just comes very easily. And so the most intimate act that you can have, you know, both physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual act that you can have with another human being is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take that connection and constant, you know, evolution and vulnerability, as you're saying, right? And yes, nobody... People really don't know the extent of vulnerability that is needed in order for a couple to be able to join together and be able to reach those heights.
1: Yeah, so a lot of couples do watch porn together, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, it's all about the degrees, but it, it's not a substitute for the work. And I think the hardest thing that people do is to admit that they need work, that they that they themselves are part of the problem. And I, I remember after my divorce thinking, well, you know, I, tr- I worked really hard at this relationship. And so I'm not the one with the issues. And then I started doing work on myself and realized wait a minute, I picked this person. I stayed 23 years with this person. Why did I make those choices? And why did I stay? You know, picking, staying trying to constantly work on something that wasn't working. You know, what part of me needed to grow and where do I need to do work? And, and we're always evolving and growing if we're open to it. I think the moment we say we're done, we, we have no work to do or the opposite where it's a lot of people will say, well, I was born this way. I'm damaged from childhood. So nothing I can do about it. I don't have a choice. I'm sure yeah. you hear that a lot in your practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we tell people that, you know, the individual work is absolutely awesome and necessary. Each person has to do their work. But when it comes to working on the relationship, it has to be done together. Right. No, no one person can do more of the work than the other. And it's like running a three-legged race, and it has to be done in unison. Right. And so as couples grow together, as they become more vulnerable with each other, as they are able to heal each other's emotional wounds that they've brought into the relationship from their past, you know, that is when they can actually address intimacy and sex between the two of them as a unifying experience versus something that actually causes more of a wound or deepens, you know, some of the wounds that they already have.
2: You know, one thing that I'd like to share is, you know, on, on my own personal journey, I, as a young woman, was insecure, and I, you know, fell into all the pitfalls that I think most women do. And you don't know what you don't know. And, and that's a crazy and brilliant thing to say, right? And so the work that you're doing of helping people become whole in and of themselves and in my journey there wasn't a lot of talk about that. And at the age of 27, 28, I had this idea that, you know, whenever I was in a relationship, I felt terrible. I always felt insecure. I felt like, you know, who's, who's lying to me now and what's going to happen. And, and then when, when the relationship would end, I would feel intact and whole and healthy and good. And so I, at that stage of my life, I was like, you know, I have no business being in a relationship. I couldn't, attract a healthy partner to save my life, you know? So I, at that point kind of committed to like, I'm kind of done, you know, and, and I spent a good three years working on myself and, and learning how to, you know, those needs that we have, we don't have to get those from one person, but we do have to take responsibility for those needs, just like we take responsibility for our food, clothing, and shelter. And so finding, you know, good friends and hobbies and, and self-care and ways to become whole and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I think it is especially important for women because women are going to be the ones that notice. And that's just the way our biology is with our sense of our amygdalas and how we, uh, have to pay attention to the world because of babies and safety and stuff like that, that we will notice those issues first. And typically a man will come into doing the work because his fear of losing his person. And so absolutely 100% agree with you that working on yourself is so incredibly important. And most women think that working on the relationship means monitoring him, not letting any of the balls drop, fixing him. And, and that is,
1: the it, it actually just continues the pattern in the cycle. Yeah. Nobody wants to be manipulated, controlled. Mm-mm. No, no change comes about when somebody's monitoring <laughs> you like a helicopter.
0: <laughs> right. It, all it does is sets up a parent child relationship and there's Which, a hierarchy, yeah. you know, and the one thing that humans, human beings, you know, don't want to, don't want in their lives is to be controlled by anybody. So there's, you know, going to be the reaction of rebellion. Right. And so, yes, what Jean's talking about, as far as men are typically not going to be the ones that seek change in a relationship they really are are trying to maintain status quo right and that's the goal you know is to fix a problem attack a problem and then go back to normal and normalcy right but as a relationship changes over time those little little changes you know is very hard for men to really notice and so those did the disconnect that could happen within a relationship men are not going to notice it initially women are going to notice it a lot more Right. And so, as that disconnect happens, what happens for men is that they t- tend to distract themselves. Right. They don't like that uncomfortable feeling of vulnerability. Right. And that risk of rejection and abandonment. So, they are going to distract themselves from those feelings like using alcohol, drugs, and porn being one of them.
1: Yeah. And I see women doing it through shopping and eating and excessive, binge watching. I mean, there's so many ways that we can numb ourselves from having to feel without even realizing it. And uh, it's so important to notice whatever we're doing to keep ourselves from vulnerability and from getting closer to others by going inward and just putting a Band-Aid on all those feelings because they don't go away. They (laughs) they keep popping up, it's crazy. so I just I want this is such a fascinating conversation and and there's so many great takeaways of vulnerability and um, just noticing the effects of pornography that that it's just the the numbers the exposure all of that is is so important to know. Um, so if there is somebody who's listening and they have a porn addiction in that relationship what is the first step that the couple can take to create more intimacy to start to heal to talk about it
0: yeah
2: you know when we're in when we're in pain we have two choices we can seek immediate comfort and anything that brings us immediate comfort is going to be food alcohol porn nothing nothing that it it leads to pleasure in that moment but over time it it is unhealthy for us and breaks us down. And the other thing that we can do is seek discipline. And discipline is, is holding yourself at a place beyond what you feel emotionally and, and seeing what comes up. And when you stay in discipline, it leads to joy. And so if that sounds like hard work, it is. If it, if it sounds like you have to sit in your pain for a bit, you do and you know nobody is having these conversations that's the number one thing we just did a couple intensive weekend and we did a breakout with the men and women and we we did a deep dive into this talk and everyone walked away from that like oh oh my god i had no idea you know i asked the women how often are you having sex where you don't want to 80 percent of the time was what they were saying mm-hmm. you know and uh and, and how much are you talking about what your needs are with your partner? And, and the biggest problem is people don't know themselves. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would love to say is that if you feel shame, it's probably not true. It's probably your truth that someone told you, you shouldn't feel. So if you're feeling uh, an insecurity or a vulnerability, instead of, instead of feeling that you experience that as shame, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't have jealousy. I shouldn't ever have those things. And it's not true. Your truth inside of you is a hundred percent accurate. It's, it's the lies that are on top of it that you have to uncover. It sort of like puts a cloud around our gut feeling. And I would offer that to people that really sit and listen to your gut and, Find the truth that's in there, and then share that with someone because shame can only have a grip on us if we keep it a secret. These are hard conversations to have; very Mm -hmm. hard conversations. Yeah, that's so important. Mm -hmm.
0: You're mentioning the couples weekend intensive. You know, the men had no idea that their their partners were feeling that way either. And, And so, if there's anything out there, you know, for people listening, if you feel shame inside about your own sexuality your partner feels just as much shame as well. And, and that is the conversation that needs to be had. Most couples aren't talking at all in the bedroom. And so they just continue to do what they've always done and feel the way that they've always felt. And they feel even more distant from each other, right? And, and so the goal is to connect and to become closer to your partner. The, the first way to do that is really just to, to say, I don't like feeling this way anymore, right? And, and I want to feel something better.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. We live in a wonderful world with so many resources. Yeah.
0: For those that might feel that they have a, a porn addiction, there is a organization out there called Fight the New Drug. Um, I don't know if it's .org or .com, but it's Fight the New Drug. Um, that is a huge resource for people who are struggling you know, with viewing too much porn. Um,
2: There's a really good book by...
0: It's, the book's called "The Truth About Men." Oh, "The Truth About Men" by Devon Franklin. Devon Franklin,
2: yeah, where well, he really talks about that in the um, the in, the in the Hollywood industry,
0: and that's specifically, you know, for men to really figure out that that piece within themselves of where they're being hijacked, and you know how to be actually more in control of your life.
1: Oh, interesting. This is such an important conversation. And yeah, I wish people would talk more. I remember at the beginning of my marriage when I just started getting curious with other newlyweds about the the frequency of sex. And I was shocked to hear how many people did not have sex regularly and they were having obligation sex, Mm -hmm. almost everyone, and Mm -hmm. withholding sex in Mm -hmm. his punishment. It was, there was, and this was like, they had just gotten married. Imagine how many of these couples, many of them are divorced today, but some are still together and miserable with each other. Yeah. It's just, and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I, it, it, there's so much beauty to this work and yes, you do have to sit in your pain. You don't get the extreme joy if you don't experience extreme pain, you have to sit with it. You can't numb on one end and then expect to have something fantastic on the other. Um, so thank you so much for, for sharing this with us today. I, I, I know that many people will, get so much from this conversation it's not just about pornography it's really about intimacy and and how we can really get closer to each other as people as couples and live happier lives so tell our audience how they can find you
0: couplesynergy.com couplesynergy.com that's where you can access you know not only our our couple to couple program where we coach couples uh, but also our weekend intensive that we hold we have another one coming up in September. Um, and that's that's always awesome. We also have an online connections program where people are able to, you know kind of you know connect with a lot of the resources that we have. And we also have the podcast as well, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So we'll have links
1: to all that in the show notes., Wonderful. Thank you for doing the beautiful work you do in the world. I really appreciate it. Thank you also. I'm looking forward so to reading your book. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you everybody for listening. If you love our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon.